I'm John here for another episode of Talking Manhattan, Urban Digs. Today we got Andrew Kramer of Brown Harris Stevens, um, mega producer, 16 years in the business. 16 years since 2002. 2002. And what makes you unique is that you graduated with some expertise in advertising and marketing. Yes, I went to school for the creative end of advertising and marketing. And actually I had my own company here in the city for 18 years. Okay. And... And that company helps you with your real estate business. Absolutely, because the same, when it's your own business, regardless of what business that is, you're constantly looking to bring in new clients. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing in real estate. You constantly, I mean, once you have the listing and you go to market it and sell it, right. is one aspect, but you also have to do a lot of work to get those listings. Right, this is a networking, referral-based kind of business. Absolutely. And I mean, if you're an agent that's not focusing on networking or marketing or referrals, it's going to go against you. Right. You have to constantly keep the pipeline. Right. Well, aside from the pipeline, I'm just curious how, how you look at a standard real estate advertisement from a sort of creative point of view. Since, as anyone who looks at one thinks, okay, listing picture, it's like, okay, it's the living room where we have some static information. Is there any kind of creativity that can be brought to this, or do you see it, it more or less in your interactions with buyers and sellers? Well, I think it's a combination of both, but I always try to infuse my listings with creative headlines not okay. just for the sense the sake of creativity but something that is unique about the property that I could address to draw people in to read more right um, okay let's talk about today's market really quick um, what properties in your opinion are are actually seeing the action um, what are getting the most attention well I think in today's market with so much available the the things that buyers are uh, more willing to pounce on mm -hmm. are the things that are move-in condition. Mm -hmm. the, the unit, the building does not have any issues. Issues you're talking about, financials. Well, it could um, be financial issues of the building. It could be a beautifully renovated apartment, yet you look out and there's brick walls. Mm -hmm. There's no right. view. Right. That's an issue that you can't change. Or it could be the financial situation of the building or next door they're going to be knocking down and right. putting up. These are things that people stay clear of. There's too much choice out there that they're not going to. I want to talk about that a little bit. Supply, too much choice. Um, when was the last time you recall seeing this like this much inventory? I mean, it must have been like 10 years ago, yeah, this, 15 years this, I mean, everything in this business is cyclical. Right. And definitely we've been in this place before. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that today I tell my sellers, it's not only about price. They have to be prepared to do work in their apartment if it's needed mm -hmm. to make it look very beautiful because in the first few minutes, the people walk in, actually seconds, yeah. they, yeah. Make, they, yeah. they form an yeah. opinion. Yeah, and we were with Deanna Corey just a little while ago and, and one of the things she said is, is price and presentation. It's, like, right. it's all about the price and the presentation and if you have the price without the presentation, it seems like that holds true in a slower market like today or even in a, a really accelerated market like we had the last few years ago. Well, and so I'm just curious, like, is, is the presentation, how is it different in terms of a slower market like now versus 2014 when there was just far more stuff in contract than actually on the market available? I think that in, the, in those types of times, there is a motivating factor that makes people feel that they have to right. make a decision. Mm -hmm. Because if not, someone else so is going to grab a sense of urgency. And yeah. today, people walk in, and if it needs work, they're, they're out the door. Okay. I mean, I, actually, I have a listing now that 
I've been trying to tell the seller that they need to do work. Right. And finally, they're listening. And I said, rather than take a price drop, let's put $10,000 into the place mm -hmm. and let's overcome the objectives that people have that when they walk in, there's no furniture. Mm -hmm. They see every flaw in the apartment. Once a place is furnished, there's drapes and there's cat furniture and there's carpeting. The eye goes in a million different directions. Yes. Yeah. They won't focus on it so much and it won't be as much. Well, it's, it's one, the empty apartment's focus is, oh my God, look at everything we got to do. And cha-ching, cha-ching, dollar signs everywhere. And the other focus is, oh, I can see myself sitting over here on my couch with my TV over there and all that stuff. So you're really completely different mindset. And this is echoing exactly what Deanna said. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you guys are seeing the same thing in different areas. Yeah, I just want to follow up. Is this a conversation you're having with the seller when you first meet them, when you discuss the actual listing of the property? The condition it should be listed in? Today, yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. six or 12 months ago, perhaps yeah. not. But today, just based on the way things are mm -hmm. uh, sitting, yeah, right. They, these are the things they need to do. Plus, in addition, Noah, when there's furniture in an apartment, not only can people imagine themselves living there, but it gives scale to the space. Right. People do not realize how much space a couch takes and a dining room table and an apartment, uh, surprisingly, looks larger yeah. when there's furniture in it versus when it's This empty. is one of those things I always thought that people on the outside that are just interested in real estate or Manhattan real estate and they hear this like, all right, I don't really think so. But you know what, when you actually get down to the practicality of it and you're actually in the field showing it, this actually is the stuff we deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. The other thing that I could say is, as a creative person, I could walk into a space and I could envision its potential. Right. And I find it very surprising that most people don't have that ability. And I remember having a rental listing, the walls were painted gold. And we were not getting any interest in the apartment. And I said to the owner, you need to paint the walls. Right. People are, are, yeah. are having a reaction. And if I ask them further, if I probe and I say, what is it about the apartment that you didn't like? They, it's hard for them to even right. pinpoint it. We painted the walls white, we rented it. Right. And, and so subconscious thing. Well, we're talking stories now. So back when I was transacting, I had a studio deal on the Upper East Side. And it was a great studio. It was a good building. It was a good location. The view was okay. Everything was great about the apartment, except the apartment. The apartment was black everything. And when I say black everything, black carpet, black ceilings, black walls, black toilet, black cave, black tiles on the floor, black shower, black shower curtain, black cabinetry, everything was black. The person just had a thing with black, right? And I came in there That's and I was more like, than a thing. I'm like, oh my, oh my goodness. And, and, and it didn't show well at all because all people could look at is, oh, I gotta change this, I gotta change that, I can change that. And we got a super deal, a super deal on that apartment. And uh, it was below market. It definitely, I would say it traded 10% below what it should have traded up just because of that. If she would have painted the walls, I think you could have actually gotten past a lot of it. But it's true, it happens. But I think, I'm sorry, I, know yeah. room, but I think you bring up a very interesting thing, which is there are some units, like a townhouse or maybe a, an old pre-war, in which there's a lot of character to the unit, and you can kind of see that as you walk, and you see the beam ceilings, you see the old hairy bone floor, so there's there, sort of that warmth, that character that it has. But a lot of times when you look at a post-war building, and it's the A-line, and it runs from the second floor to the 23rd floor, it's 
more or less the same thing. And so it's not a lot of originality between you. It's not a lot of originality when you walk in the door. So is it possible to maintain originality for each one of those lines when you walk in and see something? Or do you have to just kind of keep it white, keep it neutral? Well, it doesn't have to be white, but I always say it should be very neutral. It should be something that no one finds objection to. Okay. Right. And so, look at, yeah, in the ahead. case of, of Noah and the Black Apartment, that <laughs> people have a reaction to and they yeah. want to head for the hills. Well, I'm sure that person that owned it thought that everyone's going to love it. I mean, you know, my, my thesis in college was the false consensus effect. And the idea is if I like green beans, I'm going to overestimate how many people out there like green beans because I like green beans. So I can't imagine you don't like green beans. But I'm sure she looked at this apartment. She's like, I am adding value to this apartment. It's such a subjective thing. And with renovations, there's a diminishing return, right? And people don't think about that. So a studio, a 500 square foot studio, for example, if you put $500,000 into that or $300,000 into that, you're probably not getting it all back. You know, it's the, there's a, a correlation between the size of the apartment, and how much money you put in, and you may get the first 150 back, but everything after that is just forget subjective, forget anything, just not getting it back. A diminishing return. Well, is there also a diminishing return for staging and, and, and coloring? I mean, if if you walk in and it's a complete estate apartment, I mean, everything has to get ripped out. I mean, the, the, the bathtub is cracked. I mean, didn't even bother. With Interesting it. that you bring that up because I can give you in a nutshell. A situation unlike any other that I've experienced in 16 years. Central Park West Studio. Uh, I never met the owner, mm -hmm. but I, I spoke with her mother on the phone. She had moved out of the apartment, and the mom said, It's going to be a while. We need to do some work. I said, Fine. I got a phone call. The key's waiting for you at the doorman, but prepare yourself. Okay. The place is not in good shape. Well, the place not being in good shape was an understatement. The paint was peeling off the ceilings and the wall. There were black garbage bags scattered throughout the apartment. The bathtub tiles, which were white, were brown from the water. And they were in arrears on their maintenance. So I kind of knew in advance right. what the challenges were. And I spoke to the mom and I said, look, if we try, we have two options. If we try to sell the apartment in the condition that it's in, my concern is the numbers that we're going to get, the board is probably going to turn down the sale. Right, because it's too low. Right. I said, on the other hand, if we do some work and fix it up, we'll get the kind of numbers that we need, but I realize your financial situation. So if it's okay with you, I would like to reach out to some of my resources and see if I could find someone that would be prepared to do the work now, tack on a premium, but wait to get paid at closing at closing from the proceeds of the sale. So we had it in writing. It was agreed. It was $13,000. The place was cleared out. The floors were refinished. The walls, the ceilings, the bathroom were all taken care of. We got fifty thousand dollars more. So fifteen thousand dollars got you fifty thousand, and that was a minimal viable renovation. It's just like look, let's do the smallest kind of thing we can it, do. Yeah, because the thing okay. is, it all boils down if you think about it. An apartment consists of ceiling, walls, and a floor. What you do in that space right. determines someone's impression. The same way, if you see someone on the street, based on what they're wearing, put them in a suit, right. and they have a certain persona. Put them in a certain Casual clothes, and it's a whole different. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a very creative way to to come to a deal. I, I I would love to hear more about any kind of other creative solutions like that because I feel like that's 
that's really where the, the brokers of today are really making their mark. They're coming up with yeah. creative solutions to Yeah, and that's what separates yeah. you know, the, the producing brokers from, from the brokers that are still kind of learning the businesses. You guys know from a service level what works, what doesn't work, and you can spend 15000 and get $50,000 more. That's a value ahead. Um, what are you telling sellers right now? I'm just looking at supply here. Again, I'm on Urban Digs, um, and what's cool about it is I can actually parse out resale. Right, so I could just see what's resale doing, knowing that the new development market is doing its own kind of crazy thing. And I see supply up 29% for resale supply in the last year. So what are you telling sellers? Or, or, yeah, Price it well. Mm -hmm. And you know, I have a discussion with them because both pricing and presentation are very subjective. You know, the same way the person that owned the black apartment thought that it was the right. cat's meow. They also think that it's worth 20% more than it actually is worth. Well, everyone thinks that this is worth now. Right. So you have to substantiate that and show them not only other things that are currently on the market, right. but more importantly, things that recently sold. Okay, so that's what I want to just isolate real quick. So you're coming up with a pricing strategy, right? We're going to call it comps, whatever. Are you looking at active, competing actives and competing in contracts? With a different light than competing sold recently because the market's kind of shifting down. Yes, because the thing is, people can ask whatever they want, and there may be sellers out there that have not adjusted their expectations, mm -hmm. and the prices are a little bit too ambitious. Mm -hmm. And when a, a property goes into contract, we don't know what it went, what it actually sold for until three months after it sold. Right. right. So it's hard to ascertain a true figure from both active and contract, but if we see things that recently sold, that's a truer measure. Right, are you, how far back are you going before you stop? I would, say, I would say three months. Three months, and, and do you find that sometimes that's not enough time to go back, there's not enough data there? Um, well, it depends on how many things come up and how right. relevant they are to the property that you are. So let's say you have five relevant listings in the last three months, is that enough? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Let's say you have one relevant then listing. Then you're going to go back and you're going to do some further research. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I want to know. What are you telling buyers? This is an ideal time to purchase. Although we're in transition, there's inventory, yep. there's sellers that are actually willing to be flexible mm -hmm. on their price, interest rates are still low. Mm -hmm. They may be inching up, but they're still low. And I could share a story that a uh, broker shared with me. She was working with her buyer, mm -hmm. and the buyer found the apartment of her dreams. And the broker said, I wouldn't advise, this is going back many years ago, mm -hmm. I wouldn't advise buying it right now. It's not the best time. Mm -hmm. And the buyer didn't listen and bought the apartment. And within the first few years was complaining mm -hmm. that, you know, the value wasn't there, but fast forward seven, eight years later, mm -hmm. she's thrilled because she has the apartment that she wanted mm -hmm. and it's appreciated. Yeah. And if you're planning to stay in the place for a good number of years, yeah. the, in real estate, the numbers that you need to be concerned with are, there's just two of them, what you paid and what you sell it for. Mm -hmm. Everything else in the middle, Ignore. Right. And, and I always think that there's, you know, those buyers out there that are trying to time the market and they just have it in their head that they just have to get that bottom. They have to get that bottom otherwise not going to pull the trigger. And I just, I like to look at this market with a different kind of like an aerial 50,000 foot view. This is Manhattan real estate we're talking about here. It, it's not a speculative friendly market, meaning 
we have more co-ops than condos, right? And co-ops don't really allow speculation. If I'm a speculative investor, I'm not pouring my money into co-ops, right? So there's the condo market, New Dead market, but it's not like Miami, which is 90% condo, for example. So we have that kind of protection. Um, but buyers that have a genuine need, an actual need to get a home, you got more options. You got discounts. We're already down. Would you agree? We're already, Absolutely. We did fall. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you could still negotiate right now, right? You agree that you're still getting sellers to come down to get a deal done. Do you recall many periods of, of Manhattan cycles that had these confluence? I personally, I don't remember how many years ago, but I remember there was a time probably within the last 10 years. 2008, 2009, yeah. the credit yeah. crisis. And before that was probably 2001, 2002, stock, the dot com. Right. But what the buyer doesn't also realize is two things. If they need to sell the place that they're in, if they're waiting for the bottom, mm -hmm. who knows when that is going to be, they're going to take less money when they sell the place that they're in. Right. That's one thing that they have to consider because it's, you know, you have to look at the differential between the two. Right. The other thing is they could land the apartment that they want without a bidding war. Right. Right. If the market was better or if people realized that this was as low as it's going and then they're out there pounding the pavement, right. you're going to be bidding against other people and may lose the apartment right. that you want. And I always like to tell, I mean, look, I like to look at real-time forces. There's real-time forces and there's lagging sales data, right? Sales data is the actual price trends data that we all look at, median sale price, price per square foot. But as you mentioned earlier, that's a representative of contract signed three months, six months prior, and then it takes another couple of weeks to a couple of months for the, the record to come public. So when that sales data comes out, it's really a, a view of what happened six to nine months ago. Um, I'm looking at the real-time stuff, the stuff that gets updated every single day. So the brokers are entering new listings, they're putting listings in contract, they're taking listings off market, right? Days on market, for example. So when I look at supply, up 30%. When I look at demand pending sales, it's up 10%. We're actually seeing a slight increase in demand versus last year, which is interesting. When I look at days on market, up 30%, taking longer to sell. When I look at off market, it's up 60%, meaning sellers are taking their listings off the market. Right, and I mean, if if I'm not getting my bid, and I'm a seller, what am I doing? Right, I'm probably taking those things off market. So those confluence of real time forces, again, I think they're just heavily in the favor of buyers right now. Well, I could also share with you that the last three deals that I've done, which were somewhat recent, two of them sold the first day, and one of them sold within six days. So you're on the listing side. Correct. Okay, and are these what price points are these? Uh, well, on the higher end, one was 1.8. Mm -hmm. We got asking price, mm -hmm. first day on the market. Uh, one was seven, about 750. Yeah. We took like 95%. Right. And one was 499, and we took 475. So you see this days on market number of 85. It's up 31%, right? And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I think this market right now, it doesn't take much for this kind of trend if this continues for another couple of weeks, all these real-time forces are going to start going the other way, right? And I'm looking at days on market, and it's at 85, and it's up 35%. And the last time we were at 85 was all the way back in 2012. Mm -hmm. So we have reverted to six years ago, right? We're kind of the market's at where it's at six years ago. Which is why price it well, right. 
make it look as good as possible. Right. And just to touch on staging, a seller doesn't have to be so worried that they're going to be spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars on staging. I have come in to furnished apartments that the furniture was not to the level that we felt it should be. Mm -hmm. The photographer and I have removed the furniture from the room. We've shot it empty and we've virtually staged it free of charge. Mm -hmm. And it looks like Architectural Digest, right. every place it appears, doesn't cost the seller anything. Right, it's another option to have. And yeah. there's always this traditional staging where you rent furniture, but I'm actually right now working with a firm that I found that sells secondhand furniture mm -hmm. in excellent condition. It's a good idea. So you can kind of rent it from a, a, a thrift, not thrift shop. Not like a, a, okay, so a furniture store. Okay. It's, they, they purchase the furniture like, uh, mm -hmm. they advertise the furniture very much like Craigslist. Mm -hmm. right. But it has to be at a certain standard in terms of its condition. Mm -hmm. And for relatively little money, mm -hmm. we're furnishing the apartment. Hey, listen, I mean, you don't need new furniture in the apartment. And you're, you're going to look in the apartment. I mean, I, I bought my furniture. What, I was thankful as a trader. I made money. I bought Ethan Allen furniture in 2001. And I still got it today. And it still looks beautiful. If you rent <laughs> furniture that's for staging, yeah. your apartment is not the first place that furniture is sitting in. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It doesn't happen to you. All right. So let's let's talk about those sellers that, that, that fall for the trick. The trick where I'm a seller. I'm bringing in five brokers. A couple of brokers are telling me some good good data, good comps, good thoughts on pricing. It all makes sense. It's all validated. And then I got that one broker that says, I can get you 20% more because I know a whole bunch of people in Asia or whatever they're telling them. Good luck. Okay. Exactly. Right. So, but we know this happens, right? Good so luck. in my opinion, that broker has learned, tell the sellers what they want to hear, sign the listing agreement, and you'll worry about getting that price cut later. The important thing is you got the listing, which I think is a disservice to the seller. And I think it poisons and anchors that seller to a price that's just not realistic. Right. And it's, but it doesn't make the industry look very good either. Right, but it happens. It, it exists out there, right? Um, so, so you got a seller that falls for that trick, and they list, right? And they fail to list. Um, the second broker comes in. What... I know you've been in this situation a number of times. Yes, so. I have a pretty successful track record, actually, of being the second or third broker. Right. And when I meet with those sellers, they're oftentimes, their ears are open more to, to listening because they've experienced six months at minimum mm -hmm. with little or no activity. And I really go in and analyze how the listing looked, how it was priced, what can I do to enhance mm -hmm. and make this better? And oftentimes, the price hasn't changed, mm -hmm. and it's just uh, pre presenting it differently. Mm -hmm. uh, it's marketing it to a broader range. I do a lot of social media. Mm -hmm. I get the listings out there, and, and it works. And it works. But do you, do you find that? Um the, those sellers, though, they won't, they're just stubborn on price. They have a price in their head, or they, they again, they were poisoned from somebody else telling them a number. It, it varies seller by seller, but the, certainly there are some that have a number in their head. Right. And, you know, I also ask them in, in the period of time that it's been on the market, have you gotten offers? Right. What have those offers been? Yeah. And I always like to tell them, I don't come up with the numbers, you know, from my hip. I, will show you based yeah. on what's going on in the market 
as if I was taking you around as a buyer right. and you were seeing the competition. Right. And it's important for you to know what your apartment is competing with. And listen, I, the market does what the market wants, when the market wants to do it. And if something's on the market for six months, in my opinion, the price is incorrect. You know, And days on market, you know, you could hyper-localize this. So I can just edit this and I can actually say, what is the Chelsea condo two-bedroom market doing, right? So if I'm going to go pitch a Chelsea two-bedroom condo market client, I can say that the days on market is 79. Right? And if we don't have a bid by day 79, that's a good indication that our price is incorrect because that 79 right there is looking at every deal in the two-bedroom condo market in Chelsea that's in contract and how long to take all those things to get into contract. And the answer is 79 days. So, I also, one of the added values that I provide to my sellers is I track every inquiry, mm -hmm. whether it's an email, a phone call, it goes into a spreadsheet. And every week, I send my seller an activity report. Right. So even if I was at the apartment twice that week showing it, right. they could see how many people contacted me, mm -hmm. how many came to our website. Right. And that goes out every week. But once a month, I gather comps mm -hmm. just to show them what's sold. Right. I mean, all similar apartments, what's currently come on, what the prices are. So they are constantly aware. Mm -hmm. So by the time the 79th day has Comes, right. They've already seen right. Right. one or two uh, views right. of what else is happening. High-level views. And that's exactly what, what the service that these our agents uh, should be providing to the industry. Sellers need that kind of service. Any closing thoughts? Are you bullish, bearish on the market? We've already come down. What's your opinion? We will survive. We will survive? That's a great answer. Yeah, we um, put the theme music in the background. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Andrew Kramer, Brown Hour, Stephen, John Walker, I'm Noah Rosenblatt. This has been another episode of Talking Manhattan. We'll see you next time.